We have several scripture readings this morning. One from Isaiah, which invites us to come and eat and drink uh, what the Lord provides for us without price. And then from Psalm 63, which reminds us that the love of the Lord is better than life. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10 encourages us to uh, remain firm and engaged because whatever temptation we face is not unlike what any human being faces that God will provide a way out. And then Luke 13 has this passage about uh, fertilization. And so uh, I invite you to listen carefully, listen well. We have some who are helping with those readings this morning. From Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 9, an invitation to the thirsty. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Psalm 23, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a day and in the dry and weary land where there is no water, I have seen you in all the sanctuary. I behold the power, your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as, you long, as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up your, my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the riches of food. With singing, my lips will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think, of, I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of my wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Corinthians 1 through 13, warnings from Israel's history. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud 
and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was pleased was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to <coughs> indulge in pagan reveltry. We should not commit sexual immortality as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angels. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized, has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And from Luke 13, verses 1 through 9. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can't cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, so be, thanks, to God. Be, to God. thanks be to God. Uh, let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks that you have uh, come to join us in this world. We praise you for your incarnation and we thank you for... Um, the work of your cross and for the empty tomb. We thank you that having ascended to the right hand of the Father, you send your spirit upon us. That we too might be drawn into your life and into your love. That we too might share and participate in your worship and the communion you share with the Father. That we too might participate and share in your mission from the Father to the world. As we come now to the words of your Holy Scripture, we pray that you would open our hearts we might hear what you have to say, that we might be transformed into your image and likeness, that we might uh, truly live out these days of Lent as you would have us to do. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Um, so third week of Lent, third Sunday in Lent. And of course, I, I want us to review just very briefly the last couple weeks, the first two weeks of Lent, uh, because they're trying to set a frame for us to understand what it is, what we're doing, how we can be engaged in it. So the first frame that we set is based, the whole Lenten season is based in Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. He goes into the wilderness, uh, led out by the Spirit, and he struggles there even as he enters into fasting and prayer. Uh, he's tempted by the devil. Uh, he does not give in. He emerges victorious from that time. And so our 40 days of Lent are, are a preparation, an intentional journey into the wilderness to struggle that we too might arrive uh, to this new Easter life, which we share in him. And so we, we framed this in terms of Christ's trip into the wilderness and his return back, uh, having been changed and strengthened in his life. We compared that, remember, to Bilbo Baggins, the, the hobbit who went on this trip there and back again. This voyage and return pattern is common to stories because it's common to our lives. We step into something new and strange and difficult, and we struggle a bit, and then we sort of come back, and we're different now. We've gained additional skills and abilities and uh, experience. And so uh, as we laid out sort of the, the basic steps or stages of this trip into Lent and return to Easter, we articulated four basic stages. And the first is the call, right? We have this call to engage in this season of repentance and penitence, of prayer and fasting. And we can either hear that call or we cannot. Uh, but the call is to get off the front porch, like Bilbo, to, get out of, to step out of the comfort of our lives and the ways that we make ourselves uh, comfortable. Uh, it's to engage. And so when we do that, we also can experience some progress. We, we realize I'm beginning to grow a bit and change. Um, anytime you've gone through something difficult, that has changed you, hasn't it? But inevitably, even though we experience this progress, we'll also, like Jesus, eventually have to face some demons. Perhaps those are inner demons, things that you've struggled with a long time. Perhaps those are demons that are like powers and principalities that are operating um, kind of in groups and in cultures and upon people in different ways. Uh, but we'll have to face those. And the promise is that because of Christ's victory, we will begin in that fourth stage. We'll, we'll catch some glimpses of the Lord, that we will have a vision of God and of this Easter resurrected life, true life in him. Call, progress, struggle, and vision are kind of the first stages there in this voyage and return, this journey through Lent, which results in Easter. So that, that sort of, that's setting the frame on the whole thing, Right? And then we, we narrowed down a little more, not to some hard stages, but to more of a sense of things. Um, an at, there's an atmosphere that comes together in Lent that contains brightness and sadness. Lent is called a bright sadness, and the scriptures from last week pointed us to that reality. Jesus laments over Jerusalem. You remember this? He, he cries out because Jerusalem, the place where people are meant to come and meet with God and God speak with them, is in fact the place where they murder the prophets. It is in fact the place where people reject the messengers that God sends to them. And Jesus says, I won't show up in Jerusalem again until basically it's time for the cross. 
So he grieves deeply over the brokenness, not of the world out there far away from us, but life at the very center, which is so splintered from God that they kill God's messengers. And yet, even within that sadness, within that grief, within that lament, there's also the brightness from our scripture readings, this promise that the Lord is our light and our salvation. And so we, knowing the end of the story, can look through the time of struggle toward the brightness of Easter and the light of Christ that is revealed in the resurrection. We can see the end of the journey and the finality of Christ's victory. So there's, there's sadness, but it's mingled with brightness. There's brightness, but it's also aware of the brokenness of the world and of our lives. And so, in order to kind of navigate this atmosphere, to understand how this bears upon us, I gave you a prayer last week, and I accidentally left it up here. But So if you want one, I got one more left, uh, if you want to take it with you. This prayer is a prayer that's been prayed for centuries during Lent, since about the 4th or 5th century. Um, consistently, it showed up in worship every week nearly. And the prayer asked for God to take those things from us that warrant grief and to give us instead those things that are evidence of his brightness and his light. So we ask God to take from us a spirit of sloth, idle curiosity, love of power, and useless chatter, and to give to us instead a spirit of chastity, humility, patience, and love. And within all of that, we're asking that God would um, help us to see our own sins and not condemn our brothers and sisters because we can see in this list everything they do, but instead to, to, to help us to see our own sin. Uh, and so that's kind of both setting the big frame, but it's also identifying something of the feel of this time of year. And what I want to do this morning is to help us to see a biblical frame for how the church has understood this season. And uh, in this biblical framework, uh, for centuries, the church has read, we've been reading consistently more scripture in worship. And there comes with that the struggle to pay attention and really take it in, but also the goodness of just how often do you really hear scripture read over you for maybe 10 minutes, probably just once a week. It's not a whole lot, actually. So, so there's this invitation toward it, but also challenge to really enter in and grasp it. Um, but in the history of the church, we have read typically through the entirety of Genesis, Isaiah, and Proverbs during the 40 days of Lent. So the, and those are some big books. All of Genesis, all of Isaiah, and all of Proverbs have set the biblical frame, have helped us understand what are we what are we doing during Lent um, through those books? So let's, what I want to do this morning is to think, just highlight a few aspects of each of those books by way of invitation. Now maybe, I, I'm kind of hopeful that after hearing this, you'll say, oh, well, I think maybe I'm going to read Genesis, Isaiah, and Proverbs this Lent. Uh, because it's gonna, I'm, I'm hungry for this scripture. I'm hungry to hear uh, these things that can help me understand better my passage through it, my journey in return, the brightness, the sadness, and everything in between, what God's doing in me. But maybe that's going to be a little much. And so maybe after hearing some of the things we highlight, maybe one of these passages will really stand out to you, or one of these books, and you say, that's the one. That's the one I'm going to focus on. 
I'm going to read Proverbs, or I'm going to read Isaiah, or I'm going to read Genesis. Um, so listen to, to the framework that's being laid out here. Genesis helps us as it pertains to Lent. It helps us to understand reality, God, and ourselves. Everything is there in Genesis. All the basic framework is there in that first book of the Bible to understand reality, existence, the world, that which is. And we understand reality uh, as being created. That's the beginning of the whole thing. God creates. God speaks and things come to be. And, you know, I think we can grasp that on a personal level because did anyone here make themselves? Like none, none of you were consulted, right, before you showed up on the earth, were you? No. Like, we, just like we are created, everything has been created intentionally made by God and therefore is good because God has made it. But there's also an understanding of reality which is, recognizes that things are not as they ought to be, that there has been a fall, that there has been a fall into sin, into brokenness. Anybody seen anything on the news this week that would remind them of that reality and that truth? Um, you know, it's easy to look outside on a day like this and see how good and beautiful it is, this world in which we live. It is easy to come together with one another in church and receive hugs and smiles and encouragement and say, yes, this is good. And it's also easy to see images from a continent away and see the incredible devastation and suffering that is also present in our world. You can see the brightness. You can see the sadness. Genesis helps us to understand why that came to be. God has made things good, but there's also been a fall away from God and God's purposes. And yet the final word in Genesis is this, that God has also promised a covenant through humanity for the sake of the world that all things will be set right, and so there's also hope. We think about reality, especially during Lent. We recognize the goodness of the creation also, we grieve its fallenness, and we hope in the fact that God has promised to set things right. And so, as we think about reality, we also think of God, and we recognize that the creator of the creation is God. God is the creator. God is also the judge of our fall away from him. The one who made us is also the one who judges us, and <laughs> that final piece is that God, our judge and creator, is also our savior the one who makes covenant. And through his own life and work and service and death promises to set things right. And so we understand reality, we understand God, and that also helps us to better understand ourselves. We are created. You are created and you bear God's image. And so you are beautiful. And yet you can also see in your own life and in your own heart aspects of yourself that are broken, that are sinful, that are not good or true. It's not just out there that we can identify brightness and things that we should lament. It's in here. And so, when we recognize these things, that we are created in God's image, but that we have also sinned, it is wonderful news to hear that despite this, God still looks upon you in love and with promise. That He will, as your Savior, Fulfill the covenant that he has made. 
and so you can hope. Genesis sets that frame as we think about why am I struggling? Why am I fighting against my ego? Why am I working against the things and my proclivities that aren't good? Such that God might live more fully in me so that I might share his love more completely with others. Why am I seeking this transformation in my heart and character? Well, Genesis begins to help us to understand the frame in which we live. Isaiah, a huge book. There are plenty of places, if, you, if you're wondering where you could identify some of those places where we've fallen away, Isaiah's got plenty of them. Almost the whole book is full of things where Isaiah is saying, no, the Lord says this is not how it should be specifically to Israel. This is not how it should be, people of God. Here are the places where sin and brokenness has entered into your life and is distorting the image of God in you. Here's how that's working. But there are also punctuating Isaiah so many passages of brightness and hope. And these center around God's covenant promise, specifically as the mystery of how that salvific work will be carried out in the world through a Messiah. One who is promised to come. And through his own life of suffering and of sacrifice, brings salvation to us. And you know who that figure is. You know who that person is, who that Messiah is, who that Savior is. The one promised in Genesis is revealed. We begin to get glimpses of him in Isaiah that this is God with us. This is Jesus Christ. Isaiah is often called, even though it's in the Old Testament, the fifth gospel for being in the New Testament, because it speaks to us so clearly of Him. So maybe if you're feeling like you need to understand Jesus more, the sadness but also the brightness of Lent in your own life, and the Savior who promised to come to you, maybe this is the book to read. And of course, Proverbs. Proverbs is this book that is full of practical, daily day in, day out, work, family, relationship, instruction on how God has given us to live the good life, the life in relationship with Him and others. It's also the book that doesn't just give us a long checklist of every possible scenario you might encounter in your day and exactly how to respond to it. What's right and what's wrong and you better check the right box. It's not, it's not that. It is an instruction on how to become wise how to have the wisdom and discernment to understand all the ambiguous circumstances that come to us in the day. And so I think what you'll begin to experience if you're reading Proverbs is a depiction of, of the good life God calls us to. But I think you'll also begin to, if you're like me, read that and realize, I, I don't think I'm wise yet. <laughs> I, don't think I, I don't think I understand yet. I think there's more room for me to grow as of yet. And because of that, it will lead you further towards the Savior who can deliver you and who can instruct you in wisdom. The one who promises covenant and a recreation and the hope that is the world to come. Genesis, Isaiah, Proverbs. Maybe there's one of those books that got your attention just a little. And maybe that attention is God's way of offering you a gift of this book during our season of Lent. So we've got a few different frames that we're beginning to develop, right? Voyage and return, entering into the 40 days so that we arrive at Easter having passed through call and, um, and, and progress and struggle. 
but also encountering this vision of God's light. We're, we're identifying not just the, the frame of the journey, but also the feel of it, this bright sadness in which we ask God to take from us that which he grieves and give to us that which is good. And Genesis, Isaiah, and Proverbs help to give us a basic sort of biblical frame for how all of this makes sense and works. And so this morning, I think our passages give us a pretty good frame as well. For this third Sunday in Lent, we have passages from Isaiah, Psalms, 1 Corinthians, and Luke. And each of them fits so well right now. Here we are in the third Sunday in Lent. If you have been engaging in, in any way with this season, you might at this point be growing just a little weary. Maybe you are completely pouring yourself out, striving every hour of the day to have the Lord take from you those sins which you struggle with and to give you his own life. And you are doing everything you can. You probably are weary if that's the case. Maybe you've been barely doing anything, but occasionally you will take note and you'll pay attention and you'll give just a brief glimpse, a brief snapshot of your day, of your engagement or of your argument with someone else or of your watching of the news or your despair of the world and you give just a little bit of that to the Lord. And if that's the case, you can recognize how difficult it is to give much more at all. Either way... It's good to hear the words of Isaiah today. Isaiah, remember, who says this, passing on this invitation from God. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Come, buy and eat. Come, you who have no money. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. God says, here, I have everything you desire and it's not going to cost you anything. I will feed you. I will give you drink. Remember the next passage. This question. Why do I spend money for that which will not fill me up? For bread that actually doesn't satisfy. Why do I spend money on drink that never satiates my thirst? Why do you spend money? Why do you spend time? Why do you spend your thought life? Why do you spend so much of your day pursuing, trying to take in aspects of the world that ultimately won't satisfy you? That's what we're trying to set aside. And God says, what you really desire is me. Come, I give myself to you freely. That's why we're trying to set aside ourselves, because what we really want is God. And he's offering himself to us. A reminder that what we struggle for is on offer. Freely and without cost. We come to, to Psalm, uh, chapter, Psalm 63. Um, and we come to this passage and re, we remember, we're given a reminder of God's love. God's love for us. Um, again, it comes as someone who's been out in a wilderness journey. It says, as in a dry and a weary land, I thirst. I, my body longs for you as, as I've been out in the wilderness. Sort of like our days of Lent. And yet then the psalmist says this, I have looked upon you in your sanctuary and I've beheld your power and glory. So the writers had a real encounter with God and realized because of that, he says this, I want you to really hear this. 
It says, because your steadfast love, O God, is better than life, I will praise you. Because your love is better than life itself. That's a hard word to hear. And it reminds me how often I interpret everything based on my life. I'm scared to give up my life. Why would I do that? What else is there then? It almost doesn't make sense to me. Your steadfast love is better than life. But then I'm reminded that so much of what I think is my life is not God. It's all my other things that I want to pursue or do or ideas I have or things that I engage with. And there's goodness in much of that. But the psalmist has truly encountered Almighty God in the sanctuary. And in that moment has understood without question that the steadfast love of God is better than anything, anything else. And so why do we struggle? Why do we set aside our ego? Why do we set aside the, the, the fake life, really, that most of us spend most of our time pursuing because we're not immune to the fall either? The psalmist says you can trust that when you give that up, what you discover is better than all of that better than anything you'd ever dreamed of. God's steadfast love is what you encounter when you get rid of those things. You experience it in a different way. And so, we're reminded to come, eat and drink. The Lord has Himself to give. When you encounter the Lord, you'll discover that His love is better than anything that you pretended was life before. And then, we come to Isaiah, uh, excuse me, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which tells us, don't give up. Don't give up in the struggle. Don't give up in the weariness. He says, there's not a temptation that you will face that is not common to all humanity. If, you actually, if we were truthful with one another, in our Sunday school class we're talking about how Adam and Eve hid from the Lord. Um, we hide from each other too. If we were actually to be truthful with one another and we made a long list of all the temptations that we face and we struggle with, I might have some that are stronger in some areas than you, and you might struggle more with another temptation, but pretty much the list would all be the same. We have the same problems, the same temptations. Paul says there's no temptation you'll face that's not common to everybody. And we hide and we're, we're ashamed of these things, and we, don't, we think we can't tell anyone else. And yet he says, God is faithful. And if you're tempted, God will also provide for you a way out so that you might be free. So don't give up in the struggle. We're halfway through Lent. And you know, in the third week of Lent in the church, typically the focus is on the cross. That's the theme for the third Sunday of Lent is the cross. But the theme is not cross as suffering and cross as death. The theme is on the cross as joy and deliverance and victory. There's different ways you can approach it, but the victory of the cross is the theme. And that is what leads us to our passage in Luke, which is amazing. It's about poop. Did you catch that? So what's the story? Man owns a vineyard. He goes out to his fig tree, looks at it. No fruit. Barren. Looks dead. He says, what does he say? Cut it down. 
Get rid of it. How many years has he been coming out here to this tree? Three years. Nothing. Nada. And the vine dresser, the one who cares for the trees, says, what? Well, wait a minute. Let me do two things. What does he say? The vine dresser wants to do two things to the tree. What's the first thing? Let me, let me dig a trench around the tree and then fertilize it with manure. And let's see what happens. Let's see if in one year it bears fruit. If it does, great, well and good. But if not, we'll cut it down there. The theme of the third week of Lent is the cross. This tree that looks barren, that looks like it has no fruit upon it, that has no fruit hanging down, no leaf uh, coming forth. And what happens at the cross? What happens in Lent? Lent is this invitation to get out a shovel and to dig deep into your heart and to dig out all the junk that's in there. And to do what with it? Place it at the cross. And what happens then? Jesus takes all the junk of our lives, all the sin, all the things that break down and make sick and destroy, He takes all of that to the cross, and then what comes? Not three years later, not one year later, three days later, what? Fruit. The tree that looks barren is the tree that brings forth life when we do what? When we take our sin to it and offer it to Christ, and Christ gives, takes all that is ours and gives us all that is His. That's why we come the third week of Lent when we're tired, when the echoes of the call which felt so strong in the beginning have started to wane. And the struggle and the challenge begins to appear when it's hard to keep our eyes fixed on the brightness of the vision of Easter at the end. It's why we come reminding ourselves of the big story of Genesis, of Isaiah and the Savior, and of Proverbs which shows us how to live. It's why we come with a shovel in hand and offer Christ the worst of us such that He might give us the best of God. Come, those who are thirsty. Come, eat and drink without price. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.